Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, and yes, welcome to Awaken. My name is Kathy Solomon. I'm the director of Community Life. As we gather and begin our time of worship, of um, being together in community, we like to start with a call to worship and really hear this as an invitation to bring yourself intentionally into this place as we learn and listen and become a greater community together. I have a prayer for community, and it's taken from the Center for Action and Contemplation. So receive this prayer as we begin our time together. God, Lord of all creation, lover of life and of everything, please help us to love in our very small way what you love infinitely and everywhere. We thank you that we can offer just this one prayer, and that will be more than enough. Because in reality, everything and everyone is connected, and nothing stands alone. To pray for one part is really to pray for the whole, and so we do. Help us each day to stand for love, for healing, for the good, for the diverse unity of the body of Christ and all creation, because we know this is what you desire, as Jesus prayed that all may be one. We offer our prayer together with all the holy names of God. We offer our prayer together with Christ our Lord. Amen. As we continue in worship, um, I want to just pause for a moment and note that we sing these songs about aspirational things, that we will feast in the house of Zion, that one day there will be a kingdom that comes uh, where love is our norm, and yet we live in this tension, and every Sunday we come and we sit in that space. Um, Our staff recently started reading a book. uh, It's called Stand Your Ground, uh, Black Bodies and the Justice of God. And and it's an exploration about Trayvon Martin, if you remember, who was killed in Florida, if I'm not mistaken. And the law that exists in our country that allowed the person who killed him to be free. And how we got there. Um, Many of you know that within six days in the last couple of weeks, there were three different shootings And all of them have to do with this idea of a law that exists in our country. And however you feel about firearms, and um, we're about to sing a song that declares a kingdom that will come. And we'll join our voices and speak about it. And so we didn't want to pass up the opportunity to at least have a moment of silence to hold that tension because sometimes when the church worships and it gathers and it's totally removed from our actual lives, it rings a little hollow for me and for us. And so I want to just read these names of these three individuals in Missouri and in New York and in Texas and then we'll have a moment of silence before we join our voices and 
declare this thing that we believe to be true, and yet we find ourselves here. So um, here are these names, Ralph Yarl in Missouri, Kaylin Gillis in New York, and Peyton Washington in Texas. A moment of silence, if we would, please. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Micah. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Very glad that you're with us. Um, I don't know if you know this or not. I say every week, hi, my name is Micah. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. We have another pastor. Her name is Jenna Daniels. I don't know if you know her or not. She, uh, she is our executive pastor, so I say that because it's true, all right? I'm only one of the pastors here at Awaken. But um, either way, glad that you're with us. If you're new around here and would like to um, let us know that you were here, we'd be so grateful for that opportunity to get to know you in the seat pockets in front of you or in the pews or online. There's a card you can fill out to let us know that you were here. Somebody from our team will reach out and invite you to a beverage of your choice. We can get to know each other a little bit. A few things happening in the life of the church we want to let you know about. Oh, by the way, um, if you have those cards or tithes or offerings, a number of different ways you can give to the church, which are on the screen there. Um, and there are black boxes at each of the exits, and you can put those in there. We're grateful for both of those. A um, couple things happening. There is a partnership class coming uh, April the 30th and May the 7th. So what churches normally call membership, we call partnership at Awaken. And uh, we usually offer that class um, three or four times a year, but one time right before our annual meeting, which is June the 4th, if you want to mark your calendars. So that if you are interested in having the ability to vote on our budget and important matters of the church, uh, you can take that class before the annual meeting. So that's two days. Uh, that's four. It's two days. Um, April 30th and May 7th, right after church, both, both days, and lunch is provided. So if you can register, we will have that for you. There is a, uh, our fourth and final 40 Orchard study coming on May the 6th. That uh, is happening on a Saturday from 1 to 8. If you don't know about 40 Orchards, it's an organization that really is rooted in um, kind of Midrash, which is a, a, a Jewish tradition um, uh, of reading and studying and interpreting the scriptures. Um, they have been influential in many of our lives, including mine. Uh, I would say like a life-changing experience of studying the scriptures in this way. And so we offer that uh, four times this year. This is the last one. So sign up. Would love to see some of you there. We'll have dinner together. Um, so it's a lovely day. Um, you can register up to May 6th uh, that day. And then last but not least, there's a mini artist retreat. Mel and her team leads these, and that's coming on May the 13th from 9.30 to 2.30. And you can, uh, it's 15 bucks a person. So if you're able to make it to that, um, consider yourself an artist of any kind. Uh, you are welcome to join. And actually, no one's going to check your artist card at the door. So you can come if you want, okay? Um, today, we uh, begin, or I'm sorry, we continue a series that we have called Iterations, uh, it is the second Sunday after Easter, and um, if you've been around Awaken long enough, you may know that I have preached a sermon series called Wells and Fences, now I think about four times, started way back in the day in like 2012, and that sermon series, I've preached it four times, and every time I preach it, it changes a little bit. I tweak it a little bit, uh, shift it, because there's a new church in front of me every time I've preached it. Uh, the last time, um, you know, it's, it's really, it's always about the same idea, and that is that we want to gather around a well, 
the well is, the life and teachings, the death and resurrection of Jesus, instead of building a fence and kind of patrolling the fence of religion and um, fundamentalism, right, at its worst. We, we would rather do this. And um, that's a, a centered set versus a bounded set, if you're familiar with that kind of language. So it's been the same series every time. It's the same idea that drives it, right? We want to be that kind of church. But each time I've done it, it's a different iteration because there is a new version of the church sitting in front of me. There's a new representation of God's people sitting in front of me, and so it's a different iteration. Uh, last week, we talked about like software, right? You get an update every now and again. It's the same platform, it's the same software, but there's a new version of it. And so this series, Iterations, is really exploring that because we as a church, in 10 weeks' time, uh, there is a meeting in June, uh, at the end of the month, in California, where we as a church have been declared out of harmony in our denomination. Broadly speaking, we, as Awaken, are a part of the Church of Jesus Christ, right? That's the most recent iteration in the Bible of God's people, and so we participate in that because we're a church that bears the name of Jesus. More particularly, we have been a part of this tradition called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And so, in a bit of time, we really don't know what's going to happen in 10 weeks. We will either be voted off the island, uh, so to speak, and you know, we'll find another group of people to a different lunch table to sit at, or uh, we will be uh, invited or we'll be, we will see ourselves as invited to participate in a reformation project of sorts within the covenant to say those who feel similar to, to the way we do about our tradition and the history and the theology of it will be, you know, let's go in this direction. And it, we're not really sure. So there is definitely an update coming. There is a new iteration of us that will be. And so in the meantime, we thought between now and then, we want to look at the scriptures to see what are the things we can learn from the iterations of God's people in the scriptures. And so last week, we started with this idea of God's people. What do I mean when I say that? Um, my definition of it, how I'm defining it, is as follows on the screen behind me. God's people are the conduit the mechanism, the means through which God's hopes and dreams and intentions for creation are known, seen, lived, and offered for you to participate in. So God's people in the Bible is this idea. It's this, it's this conduit through which God intends to show or display what God meant, what God hoped for, dreamt about, intended in creation. And and and. That, 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 that would be seen and known and lived and then offered to participate in, right? So this is what I mean when I say God's people. And throughout the story of the Bible, I would argue, no matter where you pick it up, whether it's Genesis 1 or Revelation 22, is there 22 chapters in Revelation? Somebody Google that on me. Oh, just look in your Bible for crying out loud. Wherever you pick it up, right, there is always an iteration, an iteration of God's people, the means by which God intends to show the world what it looks like to be in relationship with the divine, okay? And, uh, and, and we began last week, um, and I would submit to you that whenever we see an iteration of God's people, there are always three things present. For review, you didn't know there was a pop quiz today, did you? Hot shot. That's from Speed. Does anybody remember the movie Speed? That is a deep cut. Dennis Hopper, Keanu Reeves, and Sandra Bullock. Wow! Pop quiz, hot shot. Um, what are the three, <laughs> the three uh, things present in any iteration of God's people? Number one, 
Thank you. I know some of you were here last week, so invitation, right? Love can't be love if there isn't an invitation. It can't be forced or coerced or manipulated. That's not love. And if God is love, then God's uh, move is invite, right? It's participate. It's an invitation. So there's invitation. Secondly, there is always presence. Thank you. God's presence, right? Emmanuel, not just at Christmas, but all the time. Whenever we see God at work, it's always God offering God's self. Hineni, here I am, says God to us. So invitation, presence, and mission. That's correct. Mission. There's always a job to do. There's always something to do. So today, what I want to do is keep going in the story, right? We started in the garden, Genesis 1. Today, we're going to fast forward a little bit to Genesis 12. This is the call of Abram. And I'm actually going to hold it next to, we're going to do a classic compare and contrast between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. Because the more I looked at Genesis 12, the more I realized, holy cats, Genesis 11 is like meant to be read next to it. It is a stark contrast between two different humanities that we see in Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 12. So um, remember where we are in the story. Just a little bit of review, right? God creates the world, garden, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve make a choice that leads them outside of the garden. Chapter 4, Cain kills his brother Abel. Chapter 5, we see uh, the, the beginnings of a spiral, like a, you know, somebody unplugged the bathtub and there's just a spiral going down the drain. That is called the story of humans. And it says that evil was in their heart all the time. So much so that God has another iteration with this family called Noah and the animals. And they become a new creation, a, a second iteration. We, we decided not to study that one. Uh, we've done that before. And uh, we didn't want to put it in the kids' curriculum. So we said, we'll just skip over that one. So after Genesis, after Noah and the story of the flood, we get in Genesis 10 what's called the Table of Nations, which is one of the most boring chapters in the Bible. It's a lot like Numbers. It's who begat who, begat who, begat who, begat who, and that's their family, right? It's actually really fascinating because in Genesis 10, what you get is an ethnographic map of the, the world of the Bible. So in each of those families, it actually like locates them on a map for you, all the way to Italy and Greece, over to you know, Assyria and Babylon on the east, to Egypt and Ethiopia in the south. And at the end of chapter 10, you see that all these people spread out and, 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 and scattered all over the world with all of their own different languages. And chapter 11 is sort of like a how did we get here, like flashback. So it actually begins with, you know, if you know the story of chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel, everyone had one language, one common language. It's out of order, right? So we get chapter 10 and everybody's dispersed and we get the table of nations. And then 11 is like, how did we get here? Let's go back just for a second. So that's where we are. Everybody tracking? Okay, this is going to be fun. Um, I think we're going to read a Bible story now, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, so Larissa, if I could have you. Genesis, we're going to read the introductions to chapter 11 and chapter 12. We're going to hold them right next to each other. So... Pay attention. Put your thinking caps on. If you're able, I'd invite you to stand for the reading of the word. Genesis 11, 1 through 4. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a place in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Genesis 12, 
1 through 5. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Pray with me. <clears throat> God, this morning we take just a few moments to turn our attention to this story, these stories. And I pray that we might see the, the stark contrast between two humanities. And that we might, uh, if two roads diverged into a wood, that we might take the one more wise. That we might choose the one that is more life-giving, I pray. In the strong name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, the church said together, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> uh, some of you know I grew up playing hockey, and I played really my whole life. When I was five years old, I think I started playing hockey, and I played all the way through high school. And if you can imagine a version of Micah, if you've ever been around boys and locker rooms, right? Okay, we're headed down that path. And, uh, you know, like freshman, sophomore year, uh, it's everything you, could, you might imagine, all right? Terrible jokes, like you would never repeat to your mother or your grandmother. I mean, just potty mouths, you know, sailors. It was bad. And I participated fully. I was, I was a ringleader, <laughs> okay? Uh, and, and I was all in. And that was like, that was one version of me. And then on Sunday and Wednesday... I would go to Grace Church in Roseville. And you would never know. I was like the youth group mascot. I went to every retreat, all the lock-ins, you know. I was a student leader. I was on the Delta Force. That was our student leadership team. <laughs> what is it with, like, military acronyms for youth groups? Oh, and then we had a SEALs team, too, now that I think about it. Students entering a life of service. I was on the SEALs team. There you go. I, I was all in over here, right? And so uh, you would never know this version of me. This is called hypocrisy, okay? <laughs> Two totally different versions of me. And I share that story because I, wanna, like, I want you to see the contrast between these two lives, these two humanities, because this is Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. This is what the author intends to communicate by putting these two things close together, right? We've already done the table of nations. We're already here. But let's go back. How did we get here? Genesis 11, Genesis 12. Actually, if you would, like, I'm going to read just a, a small section of 11 and 12. I'd love for you to close your eyes and just notice what you hear. Like, notice what you notice. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone, tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build a city build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. You can open your eyes. What did you notice? What do you hear? 
I'll play question. You can actually answer that. Sorry. I should have <laughs> heard pregnant pause. <laughs> no, really. What did you notice? What did you hear? They're building something. Yes. Yes. The first case, they want to make themselves great. The second case, it seems that this is God's activity. What else? Abram's not really making anything. He's participating, but he's not creating. Yeah. Notice in one, there's this like movement. And in the other, it's like this, right? It's like circle the wagons. Go out. So Genesis 11 and 12 becomes this picture for us. And if we have eyes to see, there are some very important things to notice. First of which I want to mention is whose voice are we listening to, right? There's a very clear and obvious contrast in in 11, five times in two verses. Let us, so they, then they, so that they. What's the author trying to show us? This is a picture of, like, life without the divine voice present, leading and guiding. One one person came up afterwards. They had just listened to a, a podcast about the untethered soul, the untethered human. This is that. We're early on in the story, and one of the questions that's being asked over and over and over again, we're only 11 chapters in, but it's been asked multiple times in multiple ways, is whose voice are we listening to? Genesis 3, there's an animal in the garden, a serpent, which says, did God really say? Questioning the very voice of the divine. Genesis 4, Cain listens to the voice of his anger and his resentment and his bitterness, and he kills his brother Abel, right? Genesis 5 and 6, humanity has gone their own way listening to only their own voice, and it proves to be fatal. Only evil is in their heart all the time, the text reminds us. You guys remember the Fleetwood Mac song, You Can Go Your Own Way? I thought about playing that one for you this morning, but I was like, ah, we've got too many things going on here. And I'm not that good. (laughs) You can go your own way, right? This is that. This is a picture of that. And here we are again in chapter 11, and we have humans listening only to their own voice and their own impulse. It's like there's a head of steam, and it's sort of rising up. It's moving in this direction. There's an impulse going in that way, and it's leading to a world that God has so much concern over that God intervenes. Notice there's, no, there's not even a, uh, like a, a, a moral declaration. It's just like, Here are humans choosing their own way, listening to only their own voices, and that, when it goes all the way, becomes lethal all the time. It becomes death for everyone. And so God, concerned about humans heading in this direction, stirs up the pot. Compared to Genesis 12, where the only voice we do hear Abram doesn't even speak until like verse 16 where he lies to Pharaoh about his wife. (laughs) But compared to 12, the only voice we hear is God's voice. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Here's the moment in the sermon where very easily and predictably the pastor would say to you all, we need to listen to God's voice and not our own voice. Is that pretty good? Does that feel really 
And I don't think that's false. I don't think that, because there's a certain, I have this proclivity when I listen to my own voice all the time, only, it just inevitably goes to this one particular place, which is about me and selfishness. So there is some truth about listening to the voice of God, to the divine voice, and not our own. But I actually want to broaden that a little bit, because that inevitably leads to, like, you can't listen to your own voice, don't trust your own voice, which leads to don't trust your own body, which leads to you can't hardly even trust anything inside of you, right? You are evil all the time, you're in need of grace, you need, you're a worm, Luther would say, desperate need of salvation, okay? Do you see how quickly that goes there when it's like, only listen to God's voice, don't listen to your own voice, There's truth there. There is some wisdom there because I don't know if I'll speak for myself. When I listen to only my own voice and I jettison or minimize or uh, tamp down the possibility that God may have something that God might might, want to say to me, it goes bad quickly. So that's true. But I also want to broaden it a little bit. And I want to say, I think that we probably should listen to other voices. We should be listening to the earth when she cries out and groans to us. We should be listening to a trusted friend who loves us when they have a word for us of exhortation or encouragement. We should be listening to the voices of science and reason and philosophy and biology and chemistry. We should be listening to those things. We should listen to our own voice at times. Because have you ever been out in nature and heard the voice of God? Have you ever been confronted by the power and the wonder and the awe of the divine in nature? Have you ever heard the voice of God in in a trusted friend who had a word for you? My wife and I often talk about this where it's like, you just need to listen to the voice of God. What does that even sound like? Right? Like who's asked that question before? That's an easy thing to say, but like what does that actually mean? And I wonder sometimes if God's voice doesn't sound like your own voice. How else might you hear God if not in your own tone, in your own voice? And this is a very delicate dance I'm doing here, right? I am walking on a razor's edge. Because when, and here's, what I, here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make. I don't think that the author of Genesis is saying, never listen to your own voice, only listen to God's voice. Because the author of Genesis knows that God's voice comes in a myriad of forms. It does come through nature. It does come in the midst of a trusted friendship and an intimate relationship. It does come right in, through, through reason and the things that we can study and know. It does come in the sound of our own voice at times. But when we only listen to our own voice, when we minimize or, or bury the possibility that there is a voice above, that there is a divine voice that wants to communicate and wants to offer you like the path forward towards life, and we only listen to our own voice, that is trouble all the time in Genesis 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. All tell that story, and if you don't get it by now, you are not reading what the author is trying to say. So I want to remind you this morning, as Awaken, 
right? We've been walking this road, and we'll walk it out over the next 10 weeks. And I want to just, I want to, like, I'm proud to say, hopefully pride doesn't come before the fall on this one, but I'm proud to say that we have constantly said out loud and in prayer, God, we want your spirit to be leading us on this. We want to be following the impulse of your spirit alive and well in your church. We want to be listening to the scriptures and what we believe they're saying. We want to, we want to listen to our gay brothers and sisters on this matter, right? Because that, that's been missing for a long time among ch- the church. So we want to listen to your voice as, and, and that that would be primary. We don't want to do this alone. And so I feel like we're in a good posture as a community, and you're a part of that. So I want to continue to invite you into that. Whose voice are we listening to? Secondly, what's this bit about names? The desire for a name, right? In verse 4 of chapter 11, right, the the humans uh, of chapter 11, they're headed in a direction. They're building this temple. They're building this tower. They're building an empire. This becomes Babylon in in the scriptural story. And they say, we want to do this so that we can make a name for ourselves. I did some Googling this week on the internet. Here's what I found about making a name for yourself. Some real buttes. If you want to make a name for yourself, the oldest trick in the book is to attack what everyone else reveres. That's actually not a bad marketing scheme. Like, if you want to be noticed, attack what everybody loves. (laughs) You'll be noticed. If you want to make a name for yourself by creating something others can't ignore, that's pretty good. You make a name for yourself when you overcome pain, weakness, laziness, and ignorance. That sounds like it's coming out of the recruitment office of the military. (laughs) Write your mistakes in chalk, but carve your victories in stone. That's a good one. Wow. And a man has three names. You could insert woman, the name they inherit, the name their parents give them, and the name they make for themselves. There's something about this in the human spirit that we want to make a name for ourselves, isn't there? I'm curious if you were to ask the question, why? Why do we want to make a name for ourselves? What would you say to that? What do you think some of the reasons we want to make a name for ourselves are? This is an all-play question. Say it again. We don't want to be forgotten. Yes, so you have some form of identity. A claim. Say it again. Purpose. Possibly insecure. First, somebody in first hour said pride, ego. It was real negative for the first whole section. There's like pride, ego, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, anything positive. Why do we want to make a name for ourselves? Yeah, it's all these things. There's something about we don't want to be forgotten. We want to have significance because this matters and we matter. Compared to verse 2 of chapter 12, we read, I will make your name great. Yahweh, the divine voice speaking, saying, I will make your name great. I see you. I recognize your longings. I know your hearts. I've made you. I created you. I intend good things for you. So I won't leave that out. I want you to have a name. I want you to be significant. I want you to be remembered. I want you to have mattered. But I will make your name great is very different than I will make my name great. That's the untethered human soul. I will make my name great. 
Remember where we are in this story, right? The author wants us to keep seeing this pattern that when we go it alone, when we want ultimate control of our destiny, when we want to make a name for ourselves, when we want to be autonomous and the determiners of our future, it always goes badly because this is not what we were made for, friends. We're not made to be independent, autonomous individuals. That is a part of our, like, historical thread as Americans in the world, but that's antithetical to what the scriptures teach. We are made to be interdependent, dependent upon one another. We're built for relationship, not independence, not autonomy. And so when we say, I will be the judge, I will be the determiner, I will make my name great, you can see how that runs against the grain of the very fabric of the universe that God has created, if there is a God. And you can see how that might run into problems over time in Genesis 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. So whose name are we making great? Or who is making our name great? As Awaken, I want to say, this journey that we're on, this is not about our name. As a leadership team, your board, your advisory team that leads on your behalf has said, we will not take interviews because this is not about our name. We're not going to respond to media requests in this journey because this is not about our name. This is about this table and the Christ who died to make it available and to make it big and wide for any and all who might come to it. So this is not about being insta-famous or about more butts in pews or budgets or dollars. It's not about any of that. It's about being faithful. It's about hearing the Spirit's voice and, and, and an invitation and following it. So I want to report that to you as one of your pastors. What happens, whatever happens in 10 weeks, is out of our control. And that doesn't motivate us what happens. What's going to happen is not our motivation, which leads to one final thing I want to notice. Do you notice why they build this empire, why they build this tower? They say, so that otherwise we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Genesis 11 humans are motivated by fear. And Genesis 12 humans are motivated by faith. I don't know if you, if you ever would do this inventory. I've been thinking about it because I knew I was going to ask you this question. But how much of your faith and your Christian experience has been motivated by fear? If you're honest with yourself. I was just like thinking back, 15 to 30, I was so afraid. And fear drove so much of my expression of Christianity and following Jesus. I was afraid of hell. I was afraid of getting it wrong. I was afraid of not being right. I was afraid of God being angry at me. I was afraid, 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 afraid. And do you, you know this. Fear, do not fear. It's the most common command and invitation repeated in the Bible. Did you know that? Hallmark would say there's 366 do not fears in the Bible. Um, that's actually not true. Um, for those, you know, they're like 366 do not fears. One for every day of the week and one for every day of the year and one for leap year. It's a great card. It's not true. There's over a hundred do not fears and do not be afraid in the Bible. It is the most common, repeated invitation and command of the divine 
to the world, to the people that live in it, in the whole Bible. Do not fear. So an invitation to you and to me that fear would not be our motivation. My friend, uh, yeah, I would still say he's my friend. He might not think so, but I would still say that. Uh, my, my church planting coach when I first started, his name's Mike Brown, and he would always say that courage is not the absence of fear, but it is rather the unwillingness to allow fear to dictate your action. Imagine you're Abram, and you get a word from the Lord to leave your family, your country, everything you've ever known, and go to the place God will show you. There had to be some fear in that, right? Some anxiety of like, holy cats, this is a tribal scenario. You know, people don't just leave your family. Fear's, courage isn't the, the absence of fear, but it's the unwillingness to allow that to dictate your future and your next step. I want to close with this. As we think about the iterations of God's people, as we think about in Scripture, Genesis 11 and Genesis 12, as we think about Awaken and where we are, there is a verse that is quite famous, also very hallmarky, um, Romans 8, verse 28, and it reads this way. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You ever heard that one before? It's like, fear not! You know? We know that, oh yeah, sorry. Uh, we know that all things, God works for the good of those who love him. God works for you. God is working for you. Like, if you love God, God's working for you. There's a couple of discrepancies on how to interpret a couple of important words here. So on the next slide, you'll see, right, top is the, what's in the NIV, what I have in my Bible. Second one is another version, right, that all things work together for the good of those who love God. So if you love God, like, somehow it all comes together. Very Calvinist leaning there. But one other possibility that is semantically totally in, in, in play that I think actually gets more to what I understand God to be like, especially if there's always invitation from God to be God's people, that in all things, God works together with those who love him and are called according to their purpose. The mission of Awaken is to partner with God in the renewal of all things. Assuming that God is inviting a group of people called God's people to do something in the world, and that sounds about right, that in all things, God works together with those. God is looking for a dance partner. You know, you remember the seventh grade snowball dance when everyone's lined up on it? Like some crazy kid walks across and is like, will you dance with me? That's what God is like, you guys. God is looking for someone to dance with, a partner, to participate in this work of redeeming and restoring creation. It's, it's an invitation, and there's presence promised, and a, and a job to do. And I think that is about what God is like, that in all things, God will work together with those who say yes. So to those who call themselves Awakenites, Awakeners, people of Awaken, whatever you want to call it, this is the work that we've been invited to as the church and I think it rings true. It maps over these iterations that we see in Scripture. So whose voice are we listening to along the way? Whose name are we trying to make great? Or how will, what name will be great and why? And as we go, may fear not be what drives us, but rather confidence and trust and faith that this good God is exactly who they say they are. Amen? Pray with me and we'll make our way to this table. God, we gather this morning 
for a moment we quiet our hearts and our minds and our bodies, take in a deep breath and ask, to the degree that we can, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Fall afresh on us. If there are any dark corners of our hearts with rooms, with lights that have been turned off for whatever reason, Holy Spirit, make your way in and gently, like a dimmer switch, just bring to light the ways in which we have gone our own way. In our own lives, together as a community, and point us towards that which is life. Do that work now, I pray. As we close our time of worship, we want to invite you to the table. And this morning, the kids are going to make their way up, and they will come down, and they'll receive a blessing from us. And that blessing is, may the word of God be like honey on your lips. After they are done, we'll invite you to make your way down the side aisles, and you will find red wine and white grape juice. And we'll invite you to take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. Uh, Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, after dinner, he took a cup and he blessed it. He said, this is a new covenant written in my blood, which will be shed for you. So whenever you eat of it and drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. So to the church, be reminded that this is the table of the Lord, not the church. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. Those who have been here often or maybe not for a long time or ever before, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come and be nourished, be fed, be filled to be sent back out with the Eucharist, the good gift of God. To the church gathered this morning, one of my favorite things is when the kids come down. My gosh, the things I hear, so dynamite. A couple of kids, they're like, They need me to know. I do not like honey. Noted. One kid, I put it in, he's like, I want more. We're going double. Double scoop for this guy. And man, just for whatever reason, the bread was real slippery this morning. We got a lot of floaters down here. Which is just kind of like the way it goes, you know what I mean? So in the event that you came up to receive communion and you only got half or a portion or a part, like, come on back and we'll get you set up with that before you go. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace, the kind of peace that doesn't make any sense. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the church said together, Amen. Amen. If you're joining us for Discover Awaken, you can head on downstairs for lunch. The rest of you, see you next week. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.